technically I can render badge scanning obsolete right now. We think it will eventually go away. Are we trying to do that? No. Some people love it. And if they want to use that, that's wonderful. We're not going to step on those toes. But I'm telling you, imagine if the event owner knew that and knew that you were there for a long period of time. And we use unsupervised AI to say, this is a highly engaged person. And then even knew that it was Anka who came into the booth and they spent the limited resources they have sending a personalized message, recapping the discussion that you had with them, talking about the challenges you had and what you were looking to solve. And they are highly, highly likely to close if they have the right solution on that opportunity because they focused themselves and they knew that your interest was extreme and real versus the 50 other people that came into that booth, had their badges scanned, and all they wanted was a free t-shirt. Yeah. Or a coffee. <laughs> or a coffee, right? And, and coffee works. I know I have the data. So you get the point. This is about optimization. Welcome to Events Demystified Podcast, where we explore and demystify the world of in-person, virtual, hybrid event AV production and technology by sharing insightful tips, tricks, and tactics to make your events a success. This podcast is brought to you by Tree Fan Events, a woman-owned boutique event production agency. And your host is Anka Trifan, a technical event planner and producer with almost two decades of hands-on technical experience in event production. Welcome back, friends, to another exciting episode of the Events Demystified podcast, your one-stop shop for tangible, technical, and practical planning advice for anyone in the events industry. This podcast is sponsored by Trifan Events, and I am your host, Anka Platon Trifan. As we continue with Season 7 of the Eventful AI, we are diving headfirst into this intriguing universe of AI. Today, our spotlight is on on the concept of unsupervised learning and its pivotal role in unlocking the full potential of event metrics. We'll explore how unsupervised learning can reveal valuable insights and boost the effectiveness of event planning and evaluation. And for that, I have a very special guest with me today, Kaylin Welch, co-owner and EVP of Business Development for Fast Sensor, a seasoned professional with a rich background in IT strategy, retail, and technology partnerships. A successful entrepreneur, Kaelin has invested in over 10 ventures. He has co-founded a global mobile headset manufacturing business and now leads Fast Sensors Expansion. He's a recognized industry expert on location-based AI analytics and future spatial technologies. You can learn more about Kaelin by following the links in the episode notes. And in the meantime, let's welcome Kaelin Welch, our specialist in leverage AI tools to enhance event metrics. I'm going to learn how to say that word, I promise. And today we'll be unlocking the power of unsupervised learning. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome to the show, Kellen. I'm so thrilled to have you with me today. We would love to hear a bit more about your background. How did you navigate this journey from UCLA to Fast Sensor? And how has this experience shaped your views on AI in the event mm -hmm. industry? 
Sure. Well, first of all, appreciate the opportunity to participate. Good to be here and look forward to share some of my story and, and the story of FastSensor and how we've come to be and our position within the industry and what we see the impact of that to be. So very briefly on myself, I come from IT strategy consulting originally, was able to get exposed to a lot of businesses early in my career, mostly in the communications, high-tech, electronics, and high-tech space, and helping them build strategies and go to market and figuring out how to use software combined with hardware to solve big business problems. So that was a great foundation for me. Learn way of thinking. I moved into an agency that we helped build and sell into the Omnicom network and then helped flourish within that network. And Omnicom's a large strategic holding company. For those who don't know, they own about almost 275 different agencies. Ours was focused a lot on retail technology as well as in-store technology support and training and otherwise. And that was amazing experience to learn how both events businesses work and everything from technology supporting them to the recruitment and the deployment and training and growth and strategy around scale with them. So I was able to a lot of experience there. But the real thing that I learned through that whole experience was that all of these industries were struggling to demonstrate value. Anything mm. in person, face-to-face, has always had a lack of metrics. We'll say that term many times today, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and what I learned was that everybody was looking to demonstrate value, provide metrics, key performance indicators, and prove the success and prove that the money invested was worthwhile and that we could move the needle for the business and engage not only the end customer or the customer that we were supporting, but also engage the leadership within those organizations who were making those investments. I'm talking about CMOs, for example, and CFOs who say, why should I spend this money? And that's important in the event space because we're competing with digital. And so much budget and funds have been diverted towards digital. And I think the key reason why is that it's easier to measure where it was. Mm. Again, what we're trying to do within the space is equal and level the playing field. And we're taking same type of metrics and an application of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and other technologies to effectively digitize the physical. And we're trying to bring those same level of metrics and data into the physical event space and supporting this world so we can demonstrate value and prove the worth of the investments and make sure that budgets don't completely go into the digital realm and they maintain in the physical, which is where we play. Well, that's very, very exciting. It's also a cool journey. You know, from where you started all the way to fast sensor, and I can't wait to hear more about how that practically is happening in real life. And before we get there, as we delve deeper into this world of AI, obviously one aspect that often comes to mind and is a source of sometimes worry for many event professionals and just people in general is privacy. So given that fast sensor operates in this space, I'm sure you've had to grapple with this issue. So my next question is could you share how FastSensor navigates the delicate balance, I would say, of maintaining quality while also extracting valuable insights? Absolutely. A wonderful question. So in short, our entire system is globally privacy policy compliant. So we're extremely aware because it's our business to be of every major global privacy policy. If you're in Europe with GDPR, if you're in California with CCPA, New York has their own rules. And the interesting thing is that these are evolving rapidly and changing almost daily. And sometimes I'll make a comment that I don't think a lot of people are aware of in the event space. But in theory, if you have a European citizen at your event in Las Vegas, you must be GDPR compliant. 
and people don't understand that concept. They say, well, I'm in Las Vegas. Why am I need to worry about GDPR? Because you have European citizens and their rights are protected. So it gets to be an interesting. And when you share that with an event owner or somebody who's exhibiting and demonstrating their wares and their solutions in, at a booth, they never even thought of it, right? So we make it easy and we say you're covered, right? So all of our technology is globally privacy policy compliant. We're extremely conservative when it comes to this data and PII, personally identifiable information. And the way that we navigate this is that our technology and our solutions are anonymous. So we're not actually tracking individual instances of people's personally identifiable information, aka name, race, gender, emotional status, whatever, on all of these protected classes that we need to be aware of, ours is anonymous. So artificial intelligence, by definition, is very, very good at looking for patterns. And we're going to talk a lot about this in data, right? So the power of AI applied to event location data and customer journeys or visitor journeys, as we call them in the space, is a perfect match in marriage. The point is, we don't need to know that you are a 25-year-old female or a 50-year-old male to get value from your journey and to understand your interests and how you are spending your time, because that actually tells more of a story than who you are. Demographic data is often used as a proxy for intent or engagement. And so we assume intent and engagement based on demographics, when in fact, you can measure intent and engagement and interest using the technology that we apply. So you don't have to make the leap. And we're in fact doing it by ourselves. And we use what's called the law of large numbers. If you can track a high percentage of an audience and in our instance, we're about 98, 99% of an audience with the penetration of who we can monitor and effectively understand their journeys around, then we have an extremely deep and statistically significant sample size. Some people consider statistically significant in the teens. When we measure who is, you're going to vote for for president, we might sample 3% of the country. We're getting 98 to 99. Mm. So there's no question, is the data good, right? And because it is anonymous and aggregated, it is completely safe. And so without getting too deep into the tech, I'm just going to describe it to yourself and the users or the listeners of the podcast here, but we put a sensor inside a physical space. It is listening for what's called public spectrum RF, or basically the signals that your devices that you carry are emitting naturally. Mm. Okay. So when was the last time, and you don't have to answer this, but I'll answer for you. When was the last time somebody left their house without their phone in the last five years? I usually freak out if that happens. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're like most of the planet. We're all reliant on our technology. The average consumers carries about 1.8 devices. And that's a little scary of a number, but there's different ranges, but it's always over one. Most of us carry almost two. We have a phone, we have a watch, we have Bluetooth headphones, we have Fitbit devices. All of these devices are communicating in what's called the public spectrum. And so this is technologies like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, RFID, NFC, you know, like your Google Pay, Apple Pay, et cetera. So all of these technologies that we carry are actually effectively signals that FastSensor picks up. And we listen to those signals and we put sensors in three or more vantage points and cover an area. It could be a 20 by 30 booth. It could be a hundred thousand square foot hall. It could be an entire mall. We do a lot in retail and commercial real estate. It could be a small store. It could be a warehouse. We can track the journey of people and things as they move through these spaces. So in the instance of the events world, most of the time we're deploying at either a booth, anything from a 10 by 10 up to we've tracked booths. And I'm going to use that in quotes that are over hundred thousand square feet, Mm. right? I would call that an activation. And so we can track at any size or we can track the entire trade show. And we have customers that we do that for where where we literally are, are tracking over a million square feet. So the size doesn't matter. And in those spaces, depending on what we want to understand, and let's just say that you have a typical booth, it's a 20 by 30 at your local trade 
trade show, let's use CES show, right? And you want to show off your new technology to the world. You set up your booth and you put it in and you run this entire event. You spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. And at the end of the day, you come back and your leadership says, so how was it? What did you get? What's the ROI? And you said, it was busy. (laughs) And they said, that's not good enough. (laughs) In the digital world, I know how many people hit my website, what drove them there, what sites they came from, what they put in their shopping cart, how long they dwelled on this page, how they moved to me. And I could go on and on and on. Yeah. Well, what if we could give you that for your trade show booth? And the answer is we can. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So So before this, there's another technology that was doing, there's like a beacon. Was it still based on our app reading or was it based on something else? Yeah. So beacons are challenged in this application because they require Bluetooth on, on your phone. You have Mm -hmm. to download some sort of an app and you must opt in legally. Yeah. Okay. And so a beacon is basically if my phone has the app open, if, 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 and then I walk Mm. into your booth, you can put a beacon there and it'll send a message to my phone. The penetration percentage of that audience, if you're lucky, is probably two to 3%. Mm. Okay. That's not statistically significant. So I can't understand what my visitors are doing when I have that low percentage. When was the last time you walk in somebody's trade shows booth and said, oh, let me download their app before I come? Yeah. (laughs) No, thank you. People just don't do it. So the challenge with beacons is that they never were able to get the uptake and the penetration. So we like to call that Terminator 1. I'm going to use some fun AI discussion if you've ever heard <laughs> Well, of I would love Terminator to go movies. from Terminator 1 to maybe Wally to see if we can actually humanize <laughs> AI in one way or another. <laughs> there you go. So we'll get to that stage, but I'll give you a very quick tour on technology. We'll go very brief. Beacons call it Terminator 1. Then people started deploying Wi-Fi sniffing devices and they say how many phones are within the range and it's usually a proximity-based solution. And then our good friends at Apple and Google said, well, in the interest of privacy, we're going to randomize that data. So now if your phone has your Wi-Fi off, you're not penetrated, you're not counted. If your phone has your Wi-Fi on, you're multiple counted. So the problem is the numbers don't make sense. They're actually highly inaccurate. They're maybe 15, 20% accurate at best. So that was kind of debunked by the industry and it was sort of rendered obsolete. Then people started trying to put in cameras. And so they think that they can track you with the camera everywhere. Problem with the camera is that unless you're taking pictures of people's faces and using facial recognition, you have no unique identifier. The unique so identifier that is important. that actually happens in Asia a whole lot. Like China mm-hmm. is very known for tracking everything with cameras, right? Is that, would you say that technology is pretty widely used there versus It's here? widely used there versus here. And I can tell you that if you take the name of the city you're living in or the one next to you and you Google facial recognition, privacy policy, and your city name, you will see if it's legal or not. And next mm-hmm. week it might change. So, you know, some of our customers said, well, I'm putting in cameras and I'm going to travel around on the auto show tour. And then we say, do you know that in Texas, you can't use facial recognition? Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, I wasn't aware of that. I had another customer that say, well, I own 50 stores in Portland, Oregon. And I said, why don't you Google facial recognition in Oregon and Portland, specifically a city, illegal. Case studies up and down of lawsuits that have occurred. So this is real risk for the brand. It's real risk for the agency. And the other issue is that it's expensive, it's hard to deploy. So we had to create a solution that was easy to deploy, that was privacy policy compliant, that was affordable, 
and that was able to provide data and metrics that we could use to increase and enhance our business and optimize these investments in addition to just measuring them. So the way our technology works, if you consider cameras and computer vision and facial rec, we'll call it Terminator 3, we're Terminator 4, the rise of the machines. So we're using, and this will kind of come full circle now, unsupervised artificial intelligence on top of highly accurate locationing technology with a high degree of penetration. And we're able to measure a very, very, very large percentage of an audience in a privacy compliant way with no download, no opt-in. You don't have to have your Bluetooth on. Show up, behave like you normally would, and we will track you. That's pretty much how it works. So all of that, I mean, scares the bejesus out of a lot of people. Okay. <laughs> so now that you just mentioned, you know, unsupervised AI, and mm -hmm. we basically shifted gears into yep. this topic, which again, it seems a very daunting for a lot of people and even some of our listeners. I'm very curious about this concept because it is a complex concept. Mm -hmm. It holds immense potential for transforming event metrics. <laughs> oh my God. But also I'm curious to learn more about because not a lot of people are aware, right? So could you help us maybe unravel this concept so we understand it better, shed some light on how it can be a game changer in our industry? Yep. Absolutely. So artificial intelligence is a big sort of umbrella terminology. And I think it's used very loosely these days. And there's a couple things that I will help to kind of bring down to kind of everyday understanding and application. Something that we call supervised versus unsupervised learning. So everybody today is talking about ChatGPT, BARD, and what we call large language model artificial intelligence, right? And everybody understands that these are learning systems, that they're in quote unquote intelligent, thus artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is they are learning systems. So you give them information, they get smarter, and then they process data, aka inputs, whatever you share with it or questions you ask, and they come back with pretty intelligent answers, highly intelligent as a matter of fact. So that's what's called a learning system. And that is technically an example of unsupervised AI, meaning we're not just asking the computer or the machine to look for patterns that we as humans ask it to. And I'm going to try to simplify this. It's much more complicated, but let's put it this way. If I said, I can track people as they move through your booth, and I said, Anka, what is the definition of engaged? Is it 30 seconds in your booth? And I'm going to give you one metric, and that's dwell time or visitor journey or visitor experience or time within the booth. And I said, Anka, what do you define as engagement? And you said 30 seconds. If you're there for more than 30 seconds, you're pretty serious. And then if I asked the brand that you were representing and you said, so what do you think engage means? And they said, five minutes. Yeah. And you said, okay, well, we can debate this, but nobody's right. And then FastSensor came in and said, no, it's 10. I have all this data. Guess who's wrong? Everybody. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So that's the definition of a supervised system. If I tell the system that 30 seconds equals an engager at my booth, then I've created and introduced human bias into the equation. And most of the time, guess what? We're wrong. Well, is right. it human bias or is it more a benchmark, right? Like everybody's got different benchmarks on what yep. that means for them as far as engagement goes. It is a benchmark. You're right. And it's also technically a bias because it's an opinion mm. and it's not relative to what's going on. Now, if our system was quote unquote supervised learning, we would say anytime you're in the booth for more than 30 seconds, you equal this. Now, I'm not saying that would be wrong 100% of the time, but it would actually, and you could manipulate the numbers based on that, right? So if you said, mm -hmm. if you didn't like the numbers in your booth and you didn't like that report to your boss, you could say, hey, can we drop that to 10 seconds? 
I need more numbers. Okay, that's the problem. That's again a form of human bias. You manipulated the system exactly. to reflect whatever the results is or outcome you're looking for. Absolutely. Now, in comparison, an unsupervised learning system will take all the data that's presented to it. So, a hundred, let's say, a thousand people walk past your booth, and then five hundred walk into your booth physically, mm-hmm. and only two hundred really engage. Well, how do you define those different levels? The answer is you don't. The AI does. That's、mm-hmm. an unsupervised system. So what it does is it looks at all of those people that came in and had a journey or an experience at the booth, and it says most of them do this, some of them did this, and some of them did this. And it's going to pull out those anomalies, those extremes, and then it's going to say, "Here's the average visitor journey," and it's going to tell us that the average visitor spent five minutes and thirty-two seconds in your booth. And by the way, I've seen thousands of these reports, and I can tell you that they vary widely. There is no、mm. universal average, which means it, it only reinforces the point that if I made it up and said, "Well, I've seen thousands of booths data, and the average is fifteen minutes." I'm wrong again because、mm-hmm. we have booths that we see 45 minutes. We have booths that we see three. And what's good? It depends. So the short version. That's and I just gave you one variable. We look at nine and all the permutations thereof. And it would be way too complex to explain. But I'm trying to give one example、mm-hmm. of how the unsupervised artificial intelligence takes the data that is presented and creates an outcome based on what it saw versus what you asked it to see. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, I'll just take the explanation、uh, that you just gave for unsupervised AI because obviously, even if we don't dive much deeper into all the examples that there could be to grasp. The fullness of what this concept is, it still has a huge potential to revolutionize the way we do events, we plan events, we look at ROI, and it's truly eye-opening. Honestly, it's definitely fascinating to learn more about it. So, as far as you know, I'm concerned, it's pretty clear to me that the technology, while very complex to many, I mean, it's not like I can fully understand everything,、mm-hmm. but I'm definitely super interested to learn more. It can be a powerful tool for us, for events, for our future. Of events now, a crucial component of making this technology work obviously is effectively use of data. The process of deploying, ingesting, applying data in the context of unsupervised AI can be quite a challenge. So, could you walk us through the process and share your insights on how to navigate some of these challenges? Absolutely. So I'm going to comment real briefly on how easy this is to actually deploy. Okay. First of all, it's extremely affordable. We're generally less than one percent of the cost of the booth, is what we find. So we like to say we're cheaper than the carpet at your trade show, and it's generally <laughs> true. And so the point is, if you're spending a hundred thousand dollars, or a half a million dollars, or ten million dollars, and I have examples of all of those, I have customers in every one of those those brackets. The affordability factor is extreme. We're talking thousands of dollars typically to get this in. And if you just spend a half million dollars and you're not willing to spend a percent or two to measure that, then you might have bigger challenges. Why are you、right? there? Yeah. Why are you there exactly? <laughs> so because you're not you're not optimizing. And the whole、yeah. point of this, and I think you've already kind of made the point, and I'm going to reinforce: data for the sense of data, technology for the sense of technology is worthless. If we're not applying it to solve a business use or to optimize an environment, then we're really wasting the opportunity. So how we actually apply this is we literally. As I said earlier, we put physical sensors in the space. We mount them in the top of the truss, for example, or on the back walls and the higher points within the booth. 
They're powered, they have LTE built in, so you don't have to even have a network or get a special internet drop or otherwise. Power and mount, usually the agencies that we actually have take this to market and sell to their clients, the brands, they do all the physical deployment. I have booths that literally take 15, 20 minutes to set up, so that's key. So mm -hmm. plug and play, not a lot of calibration, you're not doing anything special, just get the sensors in and mount them up and basically tell them where they are and then let the system run and the software does its job, okay? So we call it AI plug and play. Now, once the data starts to filter in, so to speak, aka visitors come to the booth, we start picking them up at over 50 feet outside of the booth. So we do what's called an impression metric. Mm -hmm. An impression is to tell you how many people saw your brand, how many people saw that big hanging sign that you spent $25,000 hanging to get it up in the rafters. How many people saw it? We can tell you. Assuming they are not like face down in their devices, just walking true. by. <laughs> That's true. We're not watching their eyes. We don't have a camera, but we're saying within range. And it's yeah. kind of a comparable metric to the CPM world. And if you remember my history working in the advertising marketing services space, measurement was key. Everybody wanted to understand impressions. Everybody wanted to understand measurement, ROI, and value demonstration. So we're doing that for this space. So we started that 50 feet, and then we do what's called a walk-by. And you'll notice that we're going to build a funnel. So 50 foot, that's how many people saw my brand or my booth. Then we do about five to 10 feet, and the AI sets the range. We don't because we're biased, right? I can yeah. extend it to 20 feet and then it looks a little better. Let's keep it honest. Let the system deploy and use the same measurement for each booth so we can compare it. Otherwise, we can manipulate the data. So we call that a walk-by. Then we do a walk-in. We say, here's how many bodies were in your booth. So maybe 10,000 people saw your brand. This is a metric that is non-unique. Walk-by is also non-unique. Maybe now of those 10,000, 1,000 walk past your booth or your activation. Of those 1,600 actually stepped foot in the booth. Okay, So that's how many what we call walk-ins. And then we use unsupervised artificial intelligence to create a persona, we call it, or the definition of an average visitor at your booth. And we use things like how long they were in the booth, where they went in the booth, how many different areas. And we can even subdivide your booth into small areas and say, at this display in the corner, we had 42 visitors spend an average of this amount of time engaging with that content that you spent so much money on building. So we're actually even breaking the booth down into small spaces. So we create what's called a qualified visitor. You're qualified by the artificial intelligence. You're the average visitor. Now, if somebody works in the booth and they're there for eight hours a day, do we need to know that? You already do. So our system filters them out. So we actually remove the employees and the brand ambassadors from the booth. And then there's that guy or gal who sees coffee on the other side of your booth and they see double padded carpet and they say, I'm going to walk through the booth because it's faster than walking around the booth. And they're in the booth for 12 seconds. Is that a visitor? Our system would probably say no. Okay. So they would not show up in the qualified visitor data. So those are the outliers. We call them in statistics, the guy who was there for 12 seconds and the employee who was there for eight hours. Those are not visitors. So we create through AI a metric and a persona and we define it and we do one more subdivision that we call browser versus engager. So how are you engaging? Were you sipping your Starbucks and wandering around the booth? And maybe you were there for a while, but you didn't really engage with anything. You didn't talk to anybody. You didn't really take a look. You would be a browser. If you're really engaged and you spent three minutes over here and two minutes over here, and then you cross back and forth between those areas four times, you're an engager. How do we set the criteria? The AI does it, not me, not mm -hmm. you, not the brand. Okay. This is again, the power of AI. And we're taking large amounts of data and we're processing them in such a way. And then we're creating a very simplified report. And I know I probably just confused some of the listeners. 
but it's really simple. You get a simple report and it says, this is how many people saw your brand? This is how many people walked past your booth? This is how many people came in? This is how many people were highly engaged? And this is how many people were extremely engaged? It's that simple. So now you have all of this data, but at the end yep. of the day, let's say you are a booth that thrives on relationships and making connections and closing deals, right? At the end yep. of the day, it's more than just the visual representation of who visited your booth. Let's say this is not that booth that showcases, I don't know, some new technology or let's take, for example, Connect meetings has their one-on-one meetings. And then there's, you know, all the CVBs being part of the trade show, trying to get event planners to, you know, visit their city, to host events mm-hmm. in their city. How do you, what kind of metric would you use then to qualify an event planner that is serious about potentially bringing their business to say this new location? Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit different, but I'm going to answer the question in this way. So if I want to understand, let's just say I had a large area in that small event. I had 15 cities represented. Each mm-hmm. one had their own area, right? Their own booth. And our system could measure how many of those event planners went to New York versus Louisville versus Vegas versus San Diego. Mm-hmm. And through the metrics, we could qualify and we could tell you that New York was the most popular location or Las Vegas was the most popular. And that is the most highly interesting and highly engaged area within the the entire show. And therefore, the average person who is voting with their feet, which is what's happening, spend mm-hmm. their time and their engagement and their mind engaging with Las Vegas. And that therefore, that is the most interesting and the most highly engaged and thus the most sought after area that the event planners were looking to understand and potentially bring their events to. So that's an example of how we would effectively measure that. And again, this is knowing nothing about who those event planners are. I don't need to know. Right. Now, if you want to know who they are and you have the permission and the privacy policies satisfied, aka they have given permission and opted in, then we can technically track those people and know who they are. That's a separate solution. Because right now, the way this is done is by scanning badges, right? Yep. But at at the end of the day, honestly, like I go to some places, my badge is scanned, but I don't even know if I actually gave permission to anyone to actually use my information in any way, shape or form. But by the fact that I'm in their booth, they think it's their right to scan my badge, which is questionable, right? Right. And I will tell you, and if they were following the rules, then you would have opted in when you signed up for the show in that instance, mm-hmm. right? You're giving mm-hmm. your explicit permission, but it's still a little bit bothersome to most participants. I don't like it when I'm trying to talk to the person at the booth and all they want to do is scan my badge. Yes. They want credit for me, but they don't actually want to engage with me. Now, yeah. what's more important, giving me a good experience or making sure that you get my email address? Because if I have a good experience, I'm probably going to follow up with you. If you annoy me, I'm probably not. And then you're going to send me an email and I'm going to unsubscribe. Yeah. That's how we work, right? So sometimes people are focused on the wrong thing. They're so interested in capturing the data because they want to follow up that they don't realize that this is an opportunity to engage with me as a potential customer. And they should spend the time asking questions and understanding my needs and then sharing their solutions, whatever they are, instead of trying to scan my badge so they can send me 25 emails over the next two years because that doesn't work, right? Yeah. So what I would say is that Technically, I can render badge scanning obsolete right now. We think it will eventually go away. Are we trying to do that? No. Some people love it. And if they want to use that, that's wonderful. We're not going to step on those toes. But I'm telling you, imagine if the event owner knew that 
and knew that you were there for a long period of time. And we use unsupervised AI to say, this is a highly engaged person. And then even knew that it was Anka who came into the booth and they spent the limited resources they have sending a personalized message, recapping the discussion that you had with them, talking about the challenges you had and what you were looking to solve. And they are highly, highly likely to close if they have the right solution on that opportunity because they focused themselves and they knew that your interest was extreme and real versus the 50 other people that came into that booth, had their badges scanned, and all they wanted was a free t-shirt. Yeah. Or a coffee. <laughs> For a coffee, right? And, and coffee works. I know I have the data. So you get the point. This is about optimization. This is about, mm-hmm. and I just gave you a real life example of how you can use this data. If a thousand people came in my booth and my sales team has to follow up with a thousand people, wouldn't you like to know who really should be followed up with versus yeah. everybody who came in the booth? Yes. So our data can provide that. We can tell you also what they were most interested in. So when you send your follow-up email and you're talking about XYZ product, you can say, hey, I know that you were interested in this. We talked about this and you don't even have to get that specific, but you know what content to put in front of that email because you know what most of your customers who came in your booth cared about most. So that's just another application of the data. And I could tell stories for an hour about all the different ways to do this, but the goal is to take the data, apply it and to help design the best booth. It's to help understand what people are interested in, what they're not understand what we call correlations and conversion. So if I know that product A and product B, most of my customers look at both of those things, then I can choose to put them next to each other or I can choose to separate them. And if I separate them, it's because I want you to walk across my booth and look at other things because I know you're going to look at the other one. So that's an example of how you use a very simple piece of data to make your booth better. And I'm going to share a very quick story. I use this data when I'm in booths. We run live data. I look at the dashboards during the event. And I was in an event with one of our partners. And I can share this. T-Mobile is one of our customers and our partners actually sell our retail product. I was in their booth. And about lunchtime, I grabbed all the different people from the booth. We had five key areas of different products we were highlighting. FastSensor was one of them. And I said, team, we're doing a very poor job of handing people off. The cross-area conversion is very low. Our dwell time in the booth, and I'm going to make up numbers here to protect them, was say 19 minutes. So I coached the team for three minutes and I pointed out the dashboard and I said, see what's happening? We're not doing a good job of handing people off. Mm -hmm. So we said, why don't we change our customer engagement script? And I said, every time I talk to somebody, when I'm done, I'm going to walk them over to you and I'm going to introduce you. You're going to shake their hand and say, let me tell you about product A. And then they're going to walk them over to product B. And they did that. Just by spending three minutes, this is a true story, we increased our dwell time in the booth from 19 minutes to 25, and that's a modified number, but we'll call it a 25% increase. And we increased our cross area conversion, and this is a true number, 60%. It took me three minutes of talking to my team, the people I was in the booth with, to make that change. And that is value by definition. Does that make and sense? And this is based on real data, basically, real data. as it's happening in front as of your happening. eyes. And that is fascinating for sure. Definitely enlightening for anyone that has ever planned a trade show and felt so frustrated how they don't really have enough information with all the data out there and all the metrics to really dive into what is happening, what really was the purpose of us being here. Okay, before we get into more practical examples of how unsupervised learning has transformed event metrics and events in general, we're going to take a brief pause to acknowledge our podcast sponsor and supporter, and then we're going to be right back. So don't go anywhere. Uh, Kaylin, don't go anywhere. We have so much more to talk about, okay? I'll be here. 
Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifan Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual, and hybrid events. The team at Trifan Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement, and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to trifunevents.com. All right, we're back with Kaelin Welch, co-owner and EVP of business development for Fast Sensor, a specialist in leveraging AI tools to enhance event metrics. And today we're unlocking the power of unsupervised learning. Now that we have discussed so much about all the aspects and you gave some examples, like real examples of how unsupervised AI can really bring metrics to life and data to life. I'm curious if you have any more practical examples of how unsupervised learning has transformed events metrics in your wealth of experience and the events that you worked on? Sure, absolutely. I will say that right out of the box, the first time you have one of our reports for your booth, you're going to say, I won, right? Because I finally- Where have you been all my life? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And probably 95 out of 100 people we talk to say yes. And that's what they say after they say, this is amazing. And they do one event and they sign up for the season because they finally have ROI metrics because everybody's asking their boss has been every year, every time they ask for budget, what does the boss say? Prove the value, demonstrate ROI. What am I getting for this? What actually came out of this investment? So sometimes just the report itself, which is usually 19, 20 page PowerPoint with all sorts of data, more than you could possibly imagine and apply. But when somebody says, instead of coming back at the event saying it was busy, we talked to a lot of people saying, what if you could say this? Well, we have an average of 69,000 people within 50 feet of our booth for an average of 3.47 minutes, which equals a total of 187,000 minutes. And I'm making this up of brand impression. Of those people, about a thousand walked past our booth, and of those, about 500 came into our booth. The people who came into our booth, about 400 of those demonstrated extreme interest, and we call them a qualified visitor. Of those, 35% we considered highly engaged, and the others we considered browsers. Now, of the six products that we demonstrated, and I could go on, that's the answer instead of it was busy. So that report alone is value, right? We're demonstrating and justifying the investment. I'm going to also say something that is sometimes the elephant in the room. We're making people people's jobs make sense. I'm protecting their budgets. I'm protecting their role. And I say me, I mean, we at, from a fast sensor perspective, that's part of what we see our vision and our goal to be is to support the industry and to protect the budget encroachment that's occurring from a digital perspective, right? So that's the first level. Okay. That's year one, show one. Now we're going to talk about a medium grade user. A medium grade user starts to take the data and say, well, what did I learn and what can I do better? And so they look at that and we have a team that actually does usually hour long consultations after the show. And we say, okay, let's set up a call and we're going to talk you through our data. We're going to define all the metrics, make sure you understand them, make it accessible to you and your team so you can be the expert. So we train them. Then we say, okay, your goal was to expose your brand. Here's the data that proves that. Or your goal was to determine product A versus product B. 
And I'm going to tell you a few real life stories. We work globally. We work in about 30 countries right now. One of our customers is Honda Motorcycles, Honda Automobiles. We work with Chevrolet, a lot of automotive brands. I wonder uh, if and- your motorcycle racer history had anything to do with that particular client. <laughs> I do like vehicles and motorcycles and yes, used to race. So yes, I love working with the automotive folks. We're working with a number of them right now. So good. Thank you for the call out. So from the data that we learned from that event, what we figured out is that they should not bring certain vehicles into a market. And I'm talking about a large country. In this instance, and this is a true story, Chevrolet decided not to bring electric cars, the Bolt in this instance, into Brazil. Not only because of our data, but our data backed up because we saw that, and I'm making up numbers here, less than 2% of the visitors actually spent any time with the Bolt. What were they interested in? Other. They wanted the trucks. They wanted the minivan. They wanted the sedan. They wanted the more affordable things. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of a very expensive mistake that an auto manufacturer could have made that our data helped inform. That's application, right? And again, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's the only reason they made that decision, but you need as much information as possible. And they could have tried to do a survey and reached out to a bunch of people and said, would you buy an electric car? But they voted with their feet. And their experience at this amazing trade show booth that this company invested in showed them that this was not actually viable in the market. We also did that for other manufacturers. And I'll give you a couple other stories. As a power user, instead of just saying, well, product A was better than product B, what if we start doing very small, what we call A-B tests? And this is you know, marketing 101. If I have a website and I put up two different home screens, I see which one keeps your attention longer and which one converts. I've just run an A-B test. I changed one variable and I saw the outcome. In order to run an A-B test, you have to be able to measure. So our system is an A-B testing tool. So I can put content A on one screen, content B on another, and see which one the audience resonates with better, right? Mm -hmm. Gave you a tool and showed you that you can A-B test. I can move my activations around my booth and I can see which layout drove a better journey. And I can see if I put the car in the back corner or the front corner, what was the dwell time change in the booth? Well, when it's in the back corner, my dwell time was up 20% and people looked at more products. I probably want to do that again. So over time, if you test one thing at a time and run A-B tests, you can build an optimization strategy and you can build the best activation, the best booth possible, the best event overall possible. And I'm talking small scale, but I want you to understand that you can do this at your entire trade show. And if you run and own the entire event and you want to sell space, What if you knew what the busiest area of the trade show floor was? What if, could you charge more for it? Yes, right? There's all sorts of applications. I'm going to share one other story. We got so good with our data that one of the brands came to us and said, we've done all these A-B tests. We think we've got it figured out, but we're still not getting the results we want. Can you help? And we said, sure. What is your goal? That's always the first question. They said, I want to enhance dwell time and I want to enhance cross carrier area conversion. I want to know where to put these different components. And so we actually used our data. We did a sort of a custom analytics project and we redesigned their booth for them. That's not a typical use of ours. We usually like to just share the data, teach people how to use it and let them apply. They wanted some special handholding. We obliged and we increased all of their major metrics between 20 and 30%. That was an actual case study. I can't name the brand, but that was us taking the application of the data to another level and literally going as far as to help them. And this was the agency, by the way, supporting the brand. So they represented this as their work because we're a partner. We want to make them look good. And so everybody won throughout the process. So those are a couple stories and I could tell them all day long. I think you get the idea, but the trick and the goal is to learn and test and iterate and apply and evolve. And if you do that, you will get better and better and better. And over time, you will have an optimal environment and you will have the strongest return on the investment you could possibly have. That's the basic story.
Well, those examples, those stories really uh, illustrate the transformative power that you just mentioned of all the things that we talked about and how supervised learning is, you know, impacting your ROI in ways that probably you didn't even thought it was possible. Now, as with any transformative technology, AI is often surrounded by all kinds of misconceptions, especially for us in the event industry. And I'm curious if you have encountered any and if you could shed any light on some some of the misconceptions you've encountered and how have you addressed them? Yep. Great question. I'm going to say another thing that might be slightly controversial, but if you don't want to know the truth, don't hire us. <laughs> I think you get my point, right? So if you're somebody that doesn't really want to know how to get better and doesn't want to know what actually happened and you want to manipulate, we're not interested. Meaning some people look at the outcome and they say that couldn't possibly be right. And mm -hmm. instead of accepting that they may not have done the perfect job and leveraging the tool to get better, they push back and they fight, right? And that's just hurting them. Because it's a matter of ego at this point, right? It's Absolutely. like, wait a second, we are doing, we thought we're doing so much better on paper and now you're coming yes. to just destroy our reputation. <laughs> right. And that's not our goal, right? Our goal is to give you a tool to become better. So before I had a scale and I thought I was in shape, right? And then I stepped on that scale and I said, oh, I didn't realize I had gained 10 pounds. Well, before I could measure it, how did I know if I was good or bad? Maybe I could see it in my body or otherwise, but you get the point. And there's a quote that I'm going to butcher a little bit and simplify, but it's that which gets measured gets done. So when mm -hmm. you can measure, you can change. Without measurement, there's no improvement, right? So if I want to be the healthiest I can be, I can measure my body mass. I can measure just my weight. But if I understand my muscle mass, because we were talking about how do we stay healthy, and I know we'll get to that. If I can measure BMI finally, and I can understand how much lean muscle mass I have, then I can optimize around that, right? Yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're a measurement tool. And again, what I said earlier is if you don't really want to know, then don't ask. If I don't want to know that I've gained 10 pounds after the holidays, don't step on the scale. <laughs> right? But if I know I've been working hard and I yeah. want to measure my BMI then, and I know that's a little outdated, but I'm just using it as an example, then I do want to know what my data looks like. Or if I want to know if I'm healthy, I might do a blood test. That's yeah. a measurement tool. So it's the same idea, same construct. And it's important. Our customer is somebody who wants to get better, who wants to know the truth, who wants to embrace the fact that maybe they don't know everything, but we're going to give them a tool to apply all of that knowledge. And we're not going to take their job. We're going to make them better at their job. And that's the other thing that people talk about with AI these days. They say, oh my gosh, it's going to take my job. No, it's not. It's going to make you better at your job. It's a tool. And well, if, if you think it's going it, to take your job, maybe it's going to take your job because you're not doing a good enough job. Well, there's a good point. And it will rearrange and make certain jobs obsolete, but it's going to make us more efficient at what yeah. we do if it's properly applied and it's going to make us smarter. And I'm going to give you a little glimpse into the future of FastSensor, but we have about three different levels of AI in our solution today. Now, one of the challenges we often have, which will help respond to this question, is how do I interpret this? How do I make sense of this? I need an analyst to teach me what to do. Well, that's expensive to have another person on the other end of the call or the phone or the data or the email to interpret your data. So what we've done is we've taken generative AI, ChatGPT4 in particular, which everybody's talking about, and you know you can help it. It can help you write great emails and build content. Well, we've been training it to interpret our data mm. for months, okay? So imagine now, instead of looking at a dashboard or a PowerPoint, what if you could log into a portal after your event and say, what were the two products that were most strongly correlated in my booth? And it would answer you. We're doing that today. That's yeah. not released to the public yet, but I just broke it here. We're literally building a generative AI and a large language model overlay on top of FastSensor 
So all the data that comes out of our event, you can simply ask the system questions and it will answer for you. You can literally say things like, should I put these two products together or not based on mm. this goal, this criteria? And it will answer in the same way that an analyst might have had to before. And that analyst might have cost you $500 an hour. You can do this for pennies. That assumes so you already have that data that you built at your first trade show that you measured. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and then from there on, then you can make, implement changes mm -hmm. based on the outcome that you're looking for. But if you're just yep. starting fresh, you got to start with collecting you, you some capture. data. Exactly. Yep. So you capture the data. So what I've been saying to my team for years, we have some brilliant engineers and some brilliant minds, and they're so smart that sometimes they put products out and technology out that are not as accessible to the average user. So what I always say is we need to make the easy button. If you remember the easy button from yeah. Staples advertising campaign, everybody knows the easy button. You press it, it tells you the answer. That's what we just built. So we're trying to make it easy so anybody can access the system and be brilliant and leverage and harness the power of unsupervised AI at a Another level, this is what I'm going to call level four in our world, so you can access the answers easily and at your fingertips. And in the middle of the night, if you happen to be up and thinking about something and say, what if I did this? What if you could just literally query a system from your phone or your computer? That's what's coming next. That's fantastic. Well, it sounds like you already like shifted gears straight into the future where <laughs> we were going to talk about that. Was There was a question for that, Caleb. I'm no, sorry. You had I'm to sorry. just jump straight into that. Just paddling back just for a second into sure. some of the other misconceptions because we talked about one, right? Like if you don't want to know, don't ask. Any other misconception that you've encountered and then let's look into the future of how particularly the future of AI in the event industry is changing with respect to unsupervised learning. Aside sure. from what you just mentioned, um, a completely different level of applying the knowledge, the data that you've collected and analyzing it in a way that makes sense for your practical usage. Love it. So other misconceptions is that the system is biased. And I think the main point of this whole discussion is to say the system is neutral. And mm. that's one of the misconceptions of AI is that if you read the news and listen to things, people say, oh, AI is filtering out and being biased in certain ways, and it can't recognize men versus women or black versus white or whatever. In this instance, the data set we have is extremely neutral, and it is extremely, quote unquote, safe. We're going to say, again, we have no personally identifiable information. So it is un bias and it is pure. Even if you don't understand exactly how it works, you can understand that if I use the same cheap scale from day one to day two, and I'm not comparing us to a cheap scale, I'm just trying to make a point. <laughs> but if my scale is inaccurate twice, do I still know if I gained weight? Probably, yep. right? So you don't have to understand what's under the hood to benefit from the information, right? I don't have to calculate my scale. I can buy a $20 scale and know if I'm up or down three pounds. I'm not saying we're that simple, but the point is if you, even if you don't understand or believe or understand the mechanics of it, you can trust the outcome and the measurement knowing that it's the same. So I can compare event to event, show to show, booth to booth, area to area, activation to activation. And I can use that same measurement tool, which is us, to validate what's happening and know if I'm going in the right direction. And the key here is that you don't have to be, and this is one of the other misconceptions I wanted to debunk, you don't have to be brilliant or a data scientist or an analyst to apply the data. You yeah. can look at a heat map and say, this side of the booth is empty. This side of the booth is full. Maybe I should fix that. And we've done yeah. simple things like that. You can understand that these two types of products tend to correlate. 
people who visit this one also visit this one. How do I use that data? It's not that hard. So you don't have to be a data scientist to apply the data. You don't have to know how AI works. The average person, especially anyone who runs and drives events and creates them, can harness this data and make sense of it and apply it to create value. So that's one of the key misconceptions. You don't have to understand the technology or how it works. You can still extract value from it in a very simple fashion. That's fantastic. Now, as we shift our gaze back to the horizon <laughs> and even the rapid page, a piece of technology advancement that we are living through. And obviously you've been part of it for quite a bit now. Mm-hmm. And the understanding of what AI is, which, you know, there's a good amount of people still struggle with. I'm curious what other futuristic practical examples and applications of AI do you see in the event industry, particularly, as sure. we mentioned, with respect to unsupervised learning, aside from what you just mentioned, tracking the metrics of trade shows per se, because that was mostly sure. what we talked about, uh, taking it outside of that. Like, sure. I'm curious about, for example, let's say content, let's mm-hmm. say menus, let's say mm-hmm. experiences, aside from all the things that we mentioned. Sure. Wonderful. So at the core, artificial intelligence is good for looking at patterns. And just think of that as a core understanding. That's what artificial intelligence and machine learning do better than humans. No human in the planet could track everything that I just described. So think about how else you can use this power of pattern recognition in your day-to-day world and unsupervised and learning systems like a BART or a ChatGPT4. So real-life applications, content creation. You should be doing it today. You can write articles, you can create menus, you can take a large data set and you can ask the system, literally, if you have information to feed the system, you can say, how do I optimize this? And it'll tell you. You could literally do a labor optimization strategy, which saves a lot of money. And you could say, when and where should I place my labor? If you've done it right and you have the right data inputs. So those are huge. The other thing is combining multiple data sets. So there's a lot of disparate systems. They're silos. Mm-hmm. I have badge scan data. I have lead capture data. I have fast sensor data. I have show registration data. Those are five different data sets for one show that all say slightly different things. How do I put them all together and create value out of them? Mm-hmm. Unsupervised artificial intelligence can combine different data sets that are unrelated but tied and create value by making sense of them. Because you can ask these systems, for example, with large language model, generative AI like a chat GPT, and you can say, here's all my X data, here's my Y data, here's my Z data. How does this all go together? And I'm simplifying things, but correlation of multiple disparate siloed data sets and bringing them together to create an overall understanding of what actually occurred and how to optimize it, I think is the number one thing that we should all be thinking about and we should be trying. And I guarantee you there's companies out there right now in their lab trying to figure this out and they should be because this is harnessing the power of today's technology to change the future. And so trust me, there's more coming. Think about matching and pairing the exhibitors and the visitors at a show or an event or an activation and getting a little bit of background, anonymous background, but just understanding interests and likes from one side and then surveys from a product perspective on the other side and matching those two things together and then making recommendations. So the other thing is a recommendation engine, things that can process these disparate data sets again, and I'm giving you a real life example, and suggest to people in your app, for example, you should go check out this booth. I think you might like it. That's all you need to hear. And then you go and you say, wow, this is exactly what I was looking for. Now, 
what happens on Amazon.com when we buy one thing? We get a lot of suggestions because exactly. they know our patterns. Well, yep. this is fascinating because we I just I was actually just talking to someone in the event industry on a different podcast episode about this idea of AI matchmaking, which a lot of like say digital platforms in you know the past just recently have said that it was real matchmaking and but mm-hmm. then it left a lot of questions unanswered right. as to how matchmake that was really truthfully yep. because I was matched with people that I just had not nothing in common with nor did mm-hmm. I care to meet and mm-hmm. how important it is especially in the world of going back to in person wanting to attend say conferences or maybe learning seminars and uh, opportunities but going with the intent of meeting the right people versus everybody's out there. But if I did not make any meaningful connection because I didn't even know where to start on this list of Mm -hmm. 5,000 attendees, how would I ever know what's the right person for me to connect with, right? So like that's where this is so important to bring it practically into Mm -hmm. our world. I agree. And that's not something we're tackling right now, but I promise there are people that are and they should be because we have limited resource and that is time, right? And it's expensive to show up an event, to fly there, to get an Uber, to get a hotel, to feed yourself. And you're in this busy city and there's 5,000 other people at the show or maybe a hundred thousand. And you're going to hope you get lucky and bump into somebody while you're eating lunch at a table and you all introduce yourself. And maybe that's the person you came there to meet, even though you didn't know it. What are the odds? They're very low. So if we can reduce that sort of randomness of interaction and we can create matchmaking and we understood from both sides and we don't need a lot of information, but the more data that the system has, the smarter it gets. So if I'm willing to spend five minutes of my time saying, here's what I'm here to learn. I want to meet companies that do this. I want to solve this problem. I want to understand more about this new thing. And then on the other hand, you had a bunch of exhibitors saying, here's what I do. I solve this problem. I have products like this. I can address this concern or issue. And here's my people. And you could put those together. That's extremely powerful. So that I think will be one of the low-hanging fruits in applying unsupervised artificial intelligence and letting the system learn from all the data from both sides and putting them together in a very efficient fashion. That's in a wonderful application. Absolutely. Well, Kaylin, your vision for the future of AI in the event industry, especially in the realm of unsupervised learning, is definitely enlightening and inspiring. So I'm definitely going to keep an eye closed on this new technology that will continue to play such a significant role in shaping our industry. Now, as we wrap up our conversation, I'd like to touch on a topic that's very close to my heart. That was the focus of our last season, mental and physical fitness. You alluded to it a little earlier. In an industry as demanding as ours, maintaining your well-being is crucial. So how do you maintain your mental and physical well-being considering the demanding nature of your job, but also of this industry? Great, great question. One, take breaks. I think we're all in an always on state right now and we have to know when to turn it off. And it's extremely important that you stop and you take time to do other things, spend time with your friends and family. I think physical fitness and exercise is a huge component and I think there's intense value. And a lot of us get stuck on the road a lot and we let that slip. So I think it's important to always make sure that you keep up with your your exercise and and that could be walking. It doesn't mean that you have to be a bodybuilder or a martial artist otherwise. I know. I mean, you've got like 25 years of martial arts experience. <laughs> Do you still That's... apply that daily or is that something more of a, uh, of the past? 
it's lessons that I've learned that I apply daily because it's the same lesson that you study in the gym or the studio or the dojo that you apply in your day-to-day life. So yes, I do. And I try to stay up on the physical side as well. It's harder, especially as we all travel, but you have to make time, whatever it is. You know, I also play tennis. I also like to hike. There's many things that we can do. We have to find things we can do when we're out there on the road, taking on a tour, so to speak. When we do these event tours, yeah. which many of us do, it's important to create breaks, take time for yourself to create balance and do things like meditate and focus on some very simple things and just sometimes don't take everything so seriously. So that's the other point that I'll sort of end with on this topic is to say balance. And I know that's hard and it doesn't mean that I don't work for two weeks and all I'm going to do is unplug because we all know that's almost impossible today, right? But making sure you draw the line at some point, stop. And it could be at hour six or at hour 12 that day. You have to take a break. You have to balance. You have to do other things that feed you. You have to stay active in some form or fashion. And that's important for both your mental and physical health. And it's important also to find things that feed you that are other than just your day-to-day vocation that we're also focused on, which hopefully you love because if you do, then it doesn't feel like work, but it's still work at the end of the day. Let's be honest. Yeah, it still takes time for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for highlighting those uh, important things because, yeah, you're right. You know, taking care of yourselves is just as important as taking care of that event that you've worked (laughs) so hard on and shedded some tears and some blood, who knows? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm sure that our listeners are, you know, also eager to learn more about you and your work that you do and some of the advancements Mm -hmm. that are coming up. So could you share with our audience where they connect with you and where you maybe share some of your insights on AI on a regular basis? Sure. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can definitely reach out and and follow me there and I'll connect with you and engage. You can obviously, of course, visit our company website and reach out at www.fastcensor.com or just fastcensor.com. And also semi-active on Twitter, which is now X. I don't know what to call it anymore. It's at Kalen Welch, my first and last name together. So feel free to reach out in any of those mediums and then we can connect and talk. And if there's any way we can support, partner, or otherwise, that's what I do, uh, is figure out how organizations can work together and make both of us stronger. So I look forward to that and welcome it. And I really appreciate the opportunity to share our story. Anka, thank you for the, for the time and the energy and the great questions and engagement. Well, thank you so much, Kaylin, for joining me and to our listeners. Thank you for joining this extraordinary episode because there's so much good information here. And I already have quite a few people in mind that, you know, they're planning trade shows and I'm like, you got to use this technology. Like you've been whining about how you don't get enough data. Well, guess what? It's out there. You just need to apply it. You shared a new way of looking at things and this remarkable journey that you just laid the way of the land for us to just get curious about. So that's it for today. Make sure that you subscribe to our podcast to stay updated on future episodes. Keep reimagining, keep innovating, keep crafting unforgettable event experiences. Thank you, Kaylin. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Events Demystified podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to review it, rate it, and share it with other event professionals that could benefit from it. Connect with us on social at Events Demystified Podcast. We would love to hear from you and what you're up to. If you'd like to learn more about Tree Fan Event Services and find out if we're a good fit in supporting your event, can we help your event be successful with a 20-minute free consultation? Link in the episode's notes. Thanks for tuning in.